Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 147 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, I get to chat with the lovely, the exceptional Evan Haynes. Now, this is a very, very special episode, and I felt like I am very privileged, actually, to have this deep, meaningful conversation with someone that I really admire and respect in the field of recovery and addiction. Evan is the co-founder of Oro Recovery, and he just wrote a book called Can America Recover? Reimagining the Drug Problem. On this episode, Evan dives into his recovery journey and also the book, Can America Truly Recover? We discuss the origin of homelessness and how we as a society, as a community, uh, whatever you are involved in, whatever ecosystem you belong to, how we operate as one and how that plays into recovery and into addiction, and how can we all recover as a society and as a whole. This is a truly enlightening conversation, and I'm so excited for you to listen to it. So let's get into it. In this episode, we talk a lot about finding your crew or your chosen family or people you find aligned with and that are like-minded. We believe that you truly heal in community, either one-on-one or in a group setting. With the Sober Girls Guide group coaching and one-on-one coaching, we are here to help you change your relationship with alcohol once and for all. Join like-minded women and change your relationship today. Head to a sobergirlsguide.com to sign up. Mr. Evan Haynes, how are you? Oh, sorry, I'm well. I'm good. Thank <laughs> you for having me. I thought I had like one second to have a little sip of coffee. I cannot survive without coffee. I always I'm... say like, you know, they've taken everything from me. 
they cannot have my coffee. It's mine. I would like, I would definitely like that waitress who like comes up to you just in, when you're in that middle of the oh. bite, like, Oh, how's everything? That's what, mm-hmm. that's yeah. what I, would like. I, was, I used to be a bus boy. I would like take people's plates. Are you done with your meal? They're like, no, I'm like I'm taking their plate away. I'm like very, come on, let's go. Let's wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I am really, really excited to talk to you today. So generally we have women on this podcast, right? Like we focus on women, but when your email came across my desk, I just had to, to chat with you because I believe, and this is, I think a very big compliment because I am obsessed with him. Um, I think you're like the modern day Aiden from sex in the city. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't from sex in the city. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The nice okay. guy, I'm the guy that Carrie should nice. have been with. Right. He was Not- cool. I've I definitely watched a number of uh, episodes of that show. I remember the creator had said, like, that he wanted it to appeal to, to men and women. And I think it, it was that good. You know, it was yeah. a good show. It was yeah. so good. But Aiden, like. The one that got away. She always so- went back to Mr. Big. What was I the know. matter with him? Like, yeah. he's so toxic and just, like. Yeah. Totally, like that's a be- like not a great relationship. Um, this is this I, is the fate of this is the fate of us nice guys, though. You know, I know we finish last every time. We're overlooked. They don't appreciate us till we're gone. True, <laughs> this is true. But you're like the modern day Aiden, so you're I appreciate that. Thank you're, you. You're you're coming in. This is your time. That's what, well, I, that's I, what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you, and I'm honored that you would have made an exception to your usual formatting to accommodate me (laughs) anytime anything for you so you know I want to get in I want to talk about your your new book that just came out but and of course uh your amazing recovery center and all that you're doing for the recovery community like you're really really a thought leader and just really at the top of your game and someone that you know I look up to is um I want to kind of go back and get your recovery story, you know, like how mm-hmm. we got here. Mm-hmm. What was Evan like before sobriety? Well, that's a great question. I mean, it's funny. My parents, my parents met in an outpatient clinic in Vancouver. It was out at UBC. No. And they were both enrolled. It was around 1969. And it was basically like a mental health outpatient clinic where they do like group therapy together yes yeah, swear to god whoa here i here i am uh I don't know, my math's terrible more than 50 years later um and i've i run outpatient and patient clinics mm-hmm. um it escaped me i mean it's proof if you ask me that we're here to um kind of complete the unfinished business of our parents yeah i mean if this if this isn't evidence of that then I don't know what it is because I literally didn't know that. And, you know, it's in my, to my DNA. It feels like my calling. I feel so lucky to be able to do what I do for, for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more than just a, it's more than a job. It's like a, it's an obsession. It's a, it's a constant preoccupation, hence the book, but how do we do what we do better? What is it that we're trying to do what is the problem of addiction so back to your question let me let me go back I guess so 
uh, as you can imagine, based on that, my my growing up was kind of uh, characterized by you know mental health, addiction problems in my family. Yeah. I had a grandma who was very kind to me, and I I often think that had she not been there and I had not been able to spend so much time with her that I, I, I probably would have been a lot uh, worse off. Um, mm. My my mom in particular was uh, uh, hospitalized, seemed like at least once a year, seemed like in the summers uh, in psychiatric hospitals. It was out at old uh, Shaughnessy Hospital, which yeah. you, would, you may know. I think it's now the Children's Hospital, but I would even take the bus there. I'd go visit her. Um, and it was hard. She was this amazing, creative, artistic, hilarious, highly intelligent person who had pretty severe mental health problems. Mm. And uh, when I was 14, she took her life. Oh. And, um, and, 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 and I know this isn't uncommon. You know, it's not uncommon to grow up in households like I did. It's not uncommon uh, to experience uh, suicide, um, you know, of... Mm of a loved one. And uh, that marked me. I mean, it was as if it wasn't kind of hard enough that pushed me over the edge. And I think I was smoking weed and cigarettes and drinking beer within weeks, within wow. weeks of that, um, moving on to LSD and eventually other drugs, but alcohol, I, uh, I really liked, I think it agreed with, with me. Mm-hmm. And um so I did that. I did that from, you know, so I guess age 14 to around 30. Uh, I moved down to LA and I was, you know, crashing cars and uh, a mess and, and um, ended up in LA County jail one night in a, after a car accident um, in a blackout where I could have killed somebody. Wow. I could have killed somebody. I was fully functioning. I was driving, operating a motor vehicle in a complete blackout. And so I came to on the curb um, under arrest, obviously. The police, in fact, they say were following me with their lights on, trying to pull me over. I was driving like 70 miles an hour down Sunset Boulevard. And maybe I think the person in front of me stopped. I didn't notice and drove right into them. And uh, thank God they were okay. You know, um, I I spent a few days in LA County Jail and uh that's a fun place to be hey it was awful (laughs) it was awful um yeah what a place Mm -hmm. and i was sent i was sentenced to a i was sentenced to like dui classes and uh the rest is history that was uh you know i had my last drink i think november 1st 2005 wow yeah so you got sober on your first go i did which is i know how normal um and i mean literally my first meeting i remember i was so nervous it was the log cabin uh which is down here in la on uh in west hollywood Hollywood. on on robertson a very famous uh kind of meeting hall and i remember a friend who i was was drinking with in hollywood like you know even a few weeks prior i talked to him the night before i remember telling him i just want to like find out why i'm so angry i turned into this like angry drunk he's like don't worry you will you will yeah. And then uh, I remember he, he met me there. I was so nervous and he whisks me in. I mean, I've never been more popular in my life. He, there's this chair, it's so busy, but there's this seat and it says, has a little card on it. And it says commitment seat saver. And I was like, oh, they've committed a seat for me. And uh, he, <laughs> he, he throws the card away, sits me down. 
And I remember there's like famous people, there's beautiful people, there's young people with tattoos and cool people. And I was like, okay, I can, I think I can do this. This yeah. is all right. And, and, and the first uh, woman who spoke up on the podium, she was like, she was talking my language. I, I, I never heard the language, but I, I knew instantly this was, these were my people yeah. and uh, that I was home. Wow. And, and there's been no looking back. I mean, now it was ups and downs and crises and recovery and losing everything. And, um, you know, it took me a couple of years to do the steps and all the things, you know, you're supposed to do. I didn't do them that way. And yet yeah. here I am. Wow. Isn't that amazing when you just, when you finally find like people that you kind of belong with, or it feels like family or like that missing kind of link that you, maybe you couldn't get from your, you know, family you were born into. That's exactly right. And, and it took me a while. I mean, I'm, I'll be honest. And for anyone who's kind of new, newly sober, thinking about checking it out, I, I went to a lot of different meetings. Like that first meeting was cool, but the people weren't that friendly. I was probably a little shy. Mm. We, we, we never connected. It took about five years of going to different meetings uh, to kind of find my people, you know, mm. but that's where I met. It's eventually where I met my wife. Our, our business came out of that. Friendships, uh, lifelong friendships that I still have, you know, 16 years later and I assume oh. I'll have forever uh, came from, not only that meeting, but the meeting after the meeting, going for coffee, hanging out. So that took five years. So I'm always here to like, kind mm. of, uh, my favorite thing to do is kind of um, blow up, you know, sort of commonly held views about how things are supposed to work, because I don't think life works the way it's that we think it works, or that it's supposed to work. It mm. works the way it works. And uh we shouldn't beat ourselves up if we're not kind of following some exact blue blueprint. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like we're all on this like rat race to like, you know, fit in, be the best version of ourselves. You know, it, it's, it's a lot of pressure, you know, and, and especially the fitting in part, like finding mm -hmm. your group and finding your, I guess, yeah, like not your tribe, but like, yeah, your group, your people that you find commonalities with. Yeah, it takes, it takes trial and error. And yeah. uh, I mean, they've done um, twin studies where they've taken identical twins separated at birth. These are, you know, from a single egg, mm. you know, halfway around the world and they end up wearing the exact same cologne or some, something using the same, like they're, they're the identical person genetically they're the same person now the only thing that can't be accounted for is like choice of partners um i would say choice of friends these things are somehow destined like that keep looking do do the legwork kind of go around make yourself available for you know the universe the cosmos to match you with your people yeah and it will happen yeah, it definitely, definitely does. I know that for sure. But, you know, to anyone kind of listening, it's scary. Yeah, it it's is. scary because there's like a risk or I, I'm speaking from my own experience, like that fear of being alone. And like, yeah. what if I don't find anyone? Like, what if I'm going to be alone forever? 
Well, yeah, and I mean, that's kind of the hallmark of our culture nowadays is that kind of isolation, yeah. loneliness. We can be alone in the middle of, you know, the biggest city in the world, um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, maybe especially in the biggest city in the world. Um, but certainly in meetings and, and uh, that's the, that's the task I think now is to kind of uh, join our solitudes together. And I, I, I don't think there's any kind of easy way to do that. Um, but certainly putting ourselves out there and again, it's like, it's almost not even a doing it. It's a making ourselves open to and available to, this larger soul or something to connect us with the things that, and the people that it maybe always planned to connect us to before we were even born, perhaps but this mm-hmm. is our destiny, but, but we, we yeah. have to put our, we have to put ourselves out there and that's the scary part. Yes. Um, but it's very doable. Yes, definitely. But it's also like, I mean, from my experience, um, I think what kept me drinking and, and not really valuing or appreciate even appreciating sobriety is because I had all these friends that kept drinking and I, and I knew, you know, these weren't really friends. They were just drinking buddies. They, they were girlfriends. We'd get together and, and drink wine and talk shit about everyone, mm-hmm. including our other friends, which is just so... like Mm -hmm. brutal when I think about it now it has its own hangover doesn't it yes Mm -hmm. definitely but thinking back to like beginning and and beginning of my journey like just the thought of even not not imagining those people in my life and and being on my own and and being like okay well now I gotta like branch off and find my own group and find my own way is is so scary but the like the thought of staying in that toxic environment is even scarier. Right. That, that, that reminds me when I first got sober, I thought, well, I'm never going to have a sense of humor again. I'm never going to laugh again, but that's okay because I'll never go back to jail. And that Mm. was, it was, it was like a small price to pay. I'll never laugh again, but I'll never go back to jail yet. As you know, I've never laughed so hard in my life. I've never had such rich experiences good and bad yeah good and bad as uh-huh. as i've had since since i uh stopped drinking but yeah there's um i have a new theory if you want to hear it Definitely. i don't i don't and it's a little controversial i don't think people change all that much at least after they're hmm. about age 35 yeah um and but that's okay and I think in the recovery community too, and this might be like a roadblock to people like who think that they're supposed to have these like major kind of character changes, like some big sea change and like they're night and day um, mm. that we are effectively the same person. And in some ways there was nothing wrong with us before, but we learn to channel it in new ways. We learn to accept ourselves and we kind of make peace with these things that maybe we were ashamed of before, or we think we're not supposed to be. Um, but anyway, that's like a pet theory that people don't actually change um, yet. Uh, it, it, it's worth it because 
the experience of life is so much um, fuller. And at the same time, I don't blame people who want to kind of anesthetize themselves. It mm -hmm. makes per perfect sense. I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally, and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com ASGG today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash ASGG. Yeah, I think you're, you're totally right. I think we... I mean, for myself, I've, I've learned to accept, you know, little, little quips and little like weird things about myself that maybe were deemed wrong or mm -hmm. bad, um, mm -hmm. you know, by my parents or by society. Uh, I want to touch on anger because I definitely mm -hmm. relate to that. And I think that, you know, for, for me personally, that was looked at like, oh, you're angry. Like you're so bad. Like, why are you it's so a, angry all the time? It's a perfect example of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, anger. I mean, there, there's all these like survival drives, um, selfishness, mm -hmm. anger. There are these things, um, you know, we might stand up in a meeting and say, you know, I'm this or that, or maybe more commonly, I used to be this, I used to be that. Um, so carrying on with this theory of mine, uh, assuming we don't change, yeah, I'm angry uh, still today, but I'm angry. I know what I'm angry about. Before, mm. I think it was this kind of like general free-floating anger that was like yes. di directed at anything in front of me. I mean, I would try to fight people. And, you know, I, my last night drinking, I cleared famously. I love telling the story because, honestly, it's so much fun. and I recommend <laughs> it. But I, I cleared a whole table of food onto the floor at Mel's Diner. Um, oh. So if you if you haven't done that, you know, you don't need to drink. I don't think to be able to do that. No, um, you don't. You just have to. You just have to have an occasion 
Um, maybe you could like rent out a restaurant, and, but it's very cathartic. But uh, yeah, I'm ang I'm angry. I'm angry that like kids go to bed hungry. I'm angry that like people don't realize how amazing and beautiful life is, and we just keep trashing this place. Like I'm angry. I'm I'm angry that I had my uh, childhood stolen from me. You know, by my parents who, yeah. you know, although going back to that kind of idea of destiny and our, and our calling when I was, when I was little, little, little sidebar, I used to think, Oh, my family nuts. Like get me out of this place. Like, why can't I have a normal family? Like the Cosby show? Why can't Bill Cosby be my dad? And uh. it's like, <laughs> careful what you wish for. So, yeah. you know, here I am now 47 years old and I'm like, I had the perfect family. I had the perfect life mm. growing up because it led me exactly to where I am today. Totally. And things like things like neglect become independence. Like all of these things have some kind of purpose. Now I'm not saying it's not the yeah. same thing as saying like that people need to suffer. I think I think 99.9% of all suffering on earth is unnecessary, but for myself personally, what I went through, it led me exactly to where I am now, which is to a place where I want to do everything I can in my power to alleviate the suffering of others because, because I think it's unnecessary. Yes, definitely. It's yeah. like a double-edged sword. These things or traits that have been deemed wrong or bad or, mm -hmm. you know, not acceptable. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I've, I completely agree with you. I've, I've definitely understood where my anger comes from mm -hmm. and why I'm angry and what it was directed at. So mm -hmm. now I don't have to like clothesline um, a security guard at the Abbey, <laughs> like no big deal. <laughs> you did that. Uh huh. Yeah. I used, to, <laughs> I used to try to fight people. No one would ever take me up. I'm, they're like, get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I think I just wanted somebody to beat me up um, in a yeah. way, which is, which is cool if, if one's into that. Um, so yeah, it, 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 it's exactly like that. I, uh, uh, I was, I was going to say too, I remember being at that meeting and starting to go to meetings and I thought, so now it was like, I want to find out why I'm so angry. The next thing was, cause I, I would see people like putting away chairs, sponsoring people, setting up coffee. And I was like, okay. Mm -hmm. And I thought, if I could just be useful, if I could just figure out how to be useful. Oh. I remember, I remember another one was if I could just be comfortable in social situations, you know, kind of that scary thing you were talking about before. Yep. So these were like, yep. these were the fundamental goals. And, and I remember thinking them and I remember thinking, okay, I will try this for like a year. And if I can, you know, make a little progress with these sort of three things, then I'll stick around. And, uh, <laughs> I guess you I made a little progress. I made a little, I made a little progress. Yeah. I, f I, f I figured out how to be useful and being useful. I think for, for any of us is the greatest gift that's available. Um, that we don't kind of like live for ourselves at a certain point anymore. And yeah. um, that, that life is, is bigger and has something bigger in mind for us, um, you know, and it, and it has uh, something in mind that, that doesn't involve 
um, so much stress and so much um, despair, mm-hmm. uh, which which are just so common nowadays. I mean, so yeah. the the book. Going back to the book for a second, I mean, it's really it's about it's about America, you know, including Canada and yeah, but North, but North America. It's about the West, really, and this world that we've created for ourselves that I think leads to the despair and the loneliness and the isolation that fuels so much of the addiction and that Mm. it's not just ourselves personally who need to recover, but it's the culture itself. Definitely. And, and in some ways, in many ways, I think we need to start there. Like all of our problems. I mean, I tell my recovery story, but again, I say it's not, it's not unusual and it's Mm -hmm. all intergenerational. It's all intergenerational. We've, we've all been through so much unless, unless our family is descended from royalty or something. We've, we've endured great hardships and land clearances and poverty and vagrancy. Uh, We've all been there. And, you know, if you believe in reincarnation, we've all personally literally been there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, that's how 80, 90% of the world lives today. And even those of us so privileged as to not have to worry about how we're going to find our next meal, mm-hmm. there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And there's a sense that, because I happen to believe we're all connected, there's a sense that, I believe anyway, none of us are going to be okay until all of us are okay. And so, so I love this kind of connection between addiction, recovery, spirituality, and social causes, mm. I've, and environmental causes. I've, I've come to believe, actually, in fact, that they're all connected, that they're all one thing. Oh, absolutely. You can't just single out, you know, ad- addiction or, you know, drinking, drugs, alcohol. You can't just single them out. I, I think that's actually really irresponsible to do that. Yeah. We have to look and at the, the, the entire wheel here. Yeah, exactly. And, and in the same way that addiction doesn't occur in a vacuum in a family, mm-hmm. addiction as a phenomenon isn't occurring in a vacuum in the sort of socio-cultural context within which it's occurring. Like with the number of overdose deaths, 100,000, I think in the last uh, 12 months. Jesus. Here, here in the U.S., it's it's getting worse. It's not getting better. Yeah. And you know, like my good friend Bob Forrest says, never have so many had so much and been so miserable. Yeah. And all the things that we thought were going to make us happy just aren't aren't cutting it. That there's something more. There's something more going on that's currently perhaps invisible, but that. Uh, I think we can we can make visible. We can start looking for and imagining and making visible. So how? I mean, I'm just going to ask. How do you think we solve this? Like, how do we? You know, I, I completely agree with you. Like, we have the most that any anyone has ever had. You know, and we're constantly searching for the next thing to help us or to heal us or to save us. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's 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 first imagining. Mm. Um, you know, I've heard it put that like we could feed, clothe, house every single human being on earth. We have the resources. 
but yeah. we don't have what we don't have is the will or the imagination. So I think the first thing is imagining and imagining everything that we took for granted about how the world works, you know, what what's natural, what's normal, mm-hmm. and throwing it out the window and imagining how it might be instead. Um, and that's like, I guess that's a personal responsibility, but it's something we can talk to our friends about. It's something we can, we can say, like, I think this is wrong. I mean, people here, for example, they complain a lot about the homeless. Mm-hmm. I complain about homelessness. I'm interested in, and in, in, in the book, I describe the entire history of homelessness. I mean, there would have been no homelessness when we lived in tribal hunter gatherer, Right. So societies, even in early agriculture, agricultural societies, homelessness was not a thing. I mean, to expel or exclude someone from the group would have, first of all, been a death sentence for that person. That would have been a very serious thing to yeah. do to somebody. And you'd have to have a really good reason to do it. Um, now we just take it for granted. We just take it for granted here in our cities. That yeah. so many people are homeless. Uh, we take so for granted globally that so many people are refugees and live in extreme poverty. Uh, what happened? How did that happen? How did that happen? And how are we all kind of involved in it? Um, and I think we're all involved. We're all involved as long as we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm just using that example of of homelessness so uh we imagine it could be otherwise we 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 imagine that we might value people differently not based perhaps on their productivity Mm. their income their their you know monetary worth but instead that they have a birthright as a citizen of this planet to live comfortably especially given that it's totally possible um and then so i i i think that imagination uh, spills over and we start connecting our own um kind of family histories i mean i'm i'm part scottish that that's what was happening uh in scotland you know 100 200 years ago uh these these land clearances were happening and so the the um communities which 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 were these uh i guess various clans were being broken up they were being betrayed even by the clan leaders and um the members of those clans were being forced from their their traditional lands i mean this has been happening all over the world and so homelessness really begins in in europe in the uh, middle ages uh, there was uh, plagues, famine, there were wars, there was empire building, mm-hmm. there were land clearances, and it created all this displacement. Right. And we just didn't know how to assimilate these people. We started creating laws in England, it was the, it was the poor laws um, uh, in the 1500s, you know, where being a vagrant, this was the first term, the term first time the term vagrancy was used if you were a vagrant and you were caught you were locked up your head was shaved you you even had a v for vagrant um carved into your into your head you were put in the stockades um in france they had the general hospital 
which is the birth of the asylum. And so at one point, I think in the late 1500s or early 1600s, there was a decree uh, by the uh, King of France, um, you know, that all beggars and vagrants should be locked up. 1% of the entire population of, uh, Par- of Paris was locked up within weeks. When you change your relationship with alcohol, you realize you have so many hours in the day. I love to dedicate my time to skincare, and Osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen. Osea's clean, vegan, and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals. Whenever I use the Andaria LG Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. Start the new year fresh with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. What? And the yeah, I mean, so we just don't know. We just walk around like with right. our blinders on because we don't know how this happened, and we don't know that not only could be this could be us, that was us for mm-hmm. sure, our 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 ancestors, or you know, again, if you believe we we've, we've lived more than one life, probably ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so we've been lucky enough to be born here and now. And there's two ways to look at it. You can either say, whew, that was a close call. I I won the lottery. I really could have been born into these harsh circumstances, but I wasn't. I'm going to really enjoy this this time. I'm going to make money. I'm going to go on vacations and stuff. I mean, I'm like kind of bad because I'm like, I can't like fully enjoy myself because I know this is happening. I'm not recommending that, Um, but this is my mission. This is, this is why I'm here. Like, I'm like, taking the 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 alternative view which is like whoa i was that now i'm not my job here isn't to sort of relax and enjoy but to say something mm. and to make a big deal about this um and so that's why i'm here it's just so unbelievable that 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 homeless people are literally treated like criminals mm-hmm. you know that's and exactly what they're and with that, you know, history that you just gave me, like that makes total sense, right? This they're, has been going on for hundreds of thousands of years. Well, it's been going on for at least 500 uh, in its present form. The birth of the asylum, um, there was no prison. There was no separate poorhouse. There was no separate asylum. They were all one place. Right. Initially, these hospitals were, initially they actually housed um, uh sufferers of of leprosy mm. and 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 they were called lep- leprosarium 
and there was 19,000 of them across Christian Europe. Wow. Um, and leprosy just sort of disappeared in the middle, late 1400s. It took about 100, 150 years, but these 19,000 leprosaria, um, which were also called um, Lazar houses in France after Lazarus, remember who had leprosy, who was yeah. Jesus's fav- favorite, sat by his side in heaven, you know, while the rich man, you know, went to hell or whatever. But right. that this was the idea, at least for, for Catholics, that, you know, we help, we do this charity. I mean, obviously, maybe God hated uh, God's wrath, you know, caused this person to suffer from leprosy, but it also gives us the opportunity to be, to redeem ourselves by being charitable. I mean, this was the idea. Wow. Um, so, so leprosy disappears. Now we, we have these empty buildings and that kind of scapegoat of the leper now becomes the mad mm. uh, the, and the poor who suffered right. from the sins of sloth and folly. Those were sort of, and especially with Calvinism now, with Protestantism, we now saw that as clearly a sign that, in, in fact, God hated these people and that we were the elect. God loved us, and he's showing us that, 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 that these people basically were not the chosen ones. And in fact, that was the argument not to provide charity anymore, but just to lock them up and even to punish them, Jesus. E- even to punish them. And so you had the uh, poorhouse, the workhouse, mm. eventually the prison. These are all things that stem from the asylum. Same with addiction treatment centers. This is our legacy. How we treat mental health in the West is a complete, uninterrupted continuum. It's changed. It's become more subtle, even benevolent seeming. Mm-hmm. But the attitudes, a lot of them are buried and hidden Mm-hmm. But they go back to this same time that these people were defective, they were broken, they were irredeemable, they were sinful. Yep. Sound familiar? Definitely. Wow. And so this is the book. The book is meant to wake us up to this other possible reality yeah. that, in fact, these are beautiful, sensitive people who've had really tough experiences, often childhood experiences growing up. This is how they dealt with it. It made perfect sense. What have we done? We've come along and judged them and, um, you know, they've made bad decisions or they're weak-willed or weak-minded. I mean, Mm. it's all buried in there. There's just this idea that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And if good things have happened to us, that, you know, that means we're good. Right. It's just all, all of these very old ideas that I'm not so sure about. It's very ass backwards. It is. <laughs> it's so, it's, it's wrong. I believe it's, it's wrong. wrong. It's wrong. And you, and you see it a lot in addiction treatment. It's like break them down to build them back up. Tough yep. love, all of that stuff, the behavior modification that we need to make these people normal like us. It's right. embedded. It's right at the very center of it's even, you know, found its way into AA. I don't think it was the initial kind of uh, seed in the conception of what AA was, but right. it's, it's found its way in and it's, it's, it's buried in there. And so yeah. unless we're, our eyes are kind of open to it, we're, we're just going to kind of keep perpetuating it yeah. is my fear. 
Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I totally agree with that. You know, even, um, you know, my, my brothers, my two younger Mm -hmm. brothers, uh, also suffer from addiction as well. And just how my parents watching them react, because I got sober on my own, like I, Mm -hmm. I just handled this under the table. (laughs) Because I knew involving them, it was going to be a shit show. Right. Well, we, we become, yeah, we become the identified patient. Yeah. That's how family systems work. And it's actually perfect for families because it, 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 we create a scapegoat like the lepers, like the, uh, and, and so um, what's actually interesting. And I, I, I loved this when I, when I, when I learned about it, the Greek word for drug is, uh, uh, pharmacon Hmm. it means it means drug it means medicine it means poison it means antidote to that poison Hmm. Uh, it means a spell it means the antidote to that spell the word pharmacos actually is their word the greek word for scapegoat so a scapegoat was a purgative it was a drug too because you could heal a whole community by putting all of your sins on this goat yeah and send and sending it out into the desert and now, you know, our hands are clean, you know, peace can be restored to the community. Yeah. Um, so wow. all of these things are drugs. So addicts in our culture, like the mad, like the poor, have been turned into scapegoats for mm-hmm. our collective problems, like can happen in a family. Because yep. it's not like the parents, you know, don't have their own problems too. And the nice thing about being able yeah. to look at it this way is that we can kind of all look at our collective problems together. So I think our whole culture is a drug. It's put us under a spell. Yeah. You know, again, again, where we just walk around, like we assume this is the way it's always been. This is just life. Uh, No one said it was fair. Whatever all these ideas are that you got to work hard and pick yourself up by your bootstraps and no one's going to do it for you. Whatever, you know, the sort of narrative or the myth of our, culture is and here it's this sort of rugged hyper individualism um it's just one way and it's and it's a uh, it's a spell we're under the spell of this myth that we hold to be real mm-hmm. and i'm saying it's not real the matrix the matrix it's honest it's to open. god it's the matrix totally it really it really is and so you know we we, we can either kind of wake up and it's tough um, or we can stay asleep and keep blaming addicted people and mentally ill people and poor people for, you know, their own problems. I mean, they're the sick ones. It's just this perfect scapegoat for bigger problems like child abuse, like poverty, like um, this kind of workaholic or, uh, I guess hyper individualism is is yeah. what I would call it. Yeah. When you said uh, you can wake up, but it's hard. Why do you think it's hard for people to wake up? Well, so I think in the late 1500s, early 1600s, there was a Christian mystic named Jacob Bohm, mm-hmm. and uh, he had uh, an idea that what we are, what human consciousness is, is the creator itself entering its creation through us 
Mm. becoming conscious. So before that, the creator was unconscious. It just, it made the universe, it made life, it made life on earth. Um, it just did it. It did it out of this kind of exuberance, out of just this unconscious will to life and more life. Okay. So Jacob Bohm said that the creator now is becoming conscious to be able to kind of separate itself from itself to be able to self-reflect basically, okay. which is what we, which is what we do. No other creature is so neurotic to worry about the past or worry about the future, or how we're going to do this, or are we doing this right? Or could we be doing this another way? Like, ah, you know, but yeah. ho- however maddening it is, it's also so important. It's important um, because as others have argued, in a way we are the planet. We are nature becoming conscious and aware of itself. Mm. And in that way, this creator, this nature, whatever this is, um, is now going to be able to direct itself and its further evolution maybe more quickly, right? Because evolution mm-hmm. takes hundreds of thousands of years. I mean, in, in even the smallest mm-hmm. little case of a, of a mutation and a, and a, and a successful change, hundreds of thousands of years. Well, this kind of conscious evolution could, you know, you could see changes occur. I mean, we saw with COVID, some things we'd never seen before happened in an instant. You know, we shut down the entire economy in a day. Totally. Um, So this is what happens when kind of the creator becomes, becomes conscious of itself, uh, that, that we become participants in this, in the act of creation and this, this magic basically that we can create solving hunger, solving, you know, creating peace, solving the environmental crisis, things like that. Um, And so what Jacob Bohm said, though, is basically once you realize that we are the creator itself, uh, there's nothing more to be afraid of. We can't be afraid of death. We can't be afraid of other people because they're also each us. Um, And that's amazing. Who wouldn't want that? Well, the trade-off is we now feel the pain of the world because we are the world. So when someone's, when a kid is suffering in Syria or Yemen or wherever, that's us. And whether we're even aware of it or not, uh, we feel it, we feel it. So that's the trade-off because I guess to, to direct the world in a, in a better way, uh, we would, that's the purpose of pain. The purpose of pain is to guide us. We want to stay away from pain, reduce pain and suffering, and increase joy and pleasure. Mm. I mean, it's really simple. And so there's a there's another philosopher who I love, um, David Pierce. He believes that kind of pleasure-pain axis, uh, that valence between pleasure and pain, our emotional experience of life, which again is a reflection. Other animals might feel pain, but they they're they're not able to reflect on it in ways that changes that into a value system pain right. is bad pain is bad pleasure is good so we've right created, we've created a value system well david pierce argues that that pleasure pain valence is the value system the mechanism of the universe itself to kind of um create more say joy and pleasure and less pain like so it's built in it's built into our consciousness which is Mm. unique other primates have it crows have it but no no other creature has it to 
the degree that we have it. And the question now is we have all this information, we have this consciousness, but what do we do with it? This is yeah. kind of the, ne- the next stage. What do we do with it? Which goes back yeah. to your question, well, what do we do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we know. think about it. At least yeah. we think about it. At least we talk about it. Yeah. And we do, our, we do our own little thing. We do our own little thing. Mm-hmm. I, I wrote a book. I run an addiction treatment center. Um, but I'm just constantly trying to push the envelope. I just went back to school um, oh. to get my PhD in psychology. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. That's huge. Thank you. How's that, how's that going? I love it. Yeah? I love it. Yeah. It's, I love school. Me too. I love learning. It's like the best thing ever. <laughs> wow. Evan, this has been such a mind blowing conversation. Like I literally have just been sitting here watching you and I love your mind and how you think and, and how, just how you want to change the world and how you perceive things. It's mm. really, really fascinating. I really Thank love you. it. Uh, where can people find you and get a copy of your fantastic new book? Well, thank you. So I'm um, on Instagram. It's Evan Haynes. Okay. H-A-I-N-E-S. And uh, also on Instagram, we can find um, Oro Recovery. So Oro House Recovery Centers is the name of our treatment center. Um, but my book, which I wrote along with my friend and mentor, Bob Forrest, uh, just went on sale uh this morning. I don't know when this episode airs, but one can find that on uh, amazon.com. It's called, Perfect. it's called can America recover reimagining the drug problem. Yeah. So every, everything we just discussed and so much more that people want to just be introduced, I guess, to a, one possible different way of looking at the world. Um, yeah. This book is for them and to um, really see ourselves rather than the sort of discarded devalued ones as as the heroes of this story it's really a love letter to addicted people everywhere Mm. um and i think you know it's it's less about them becoming normal like us and kind of joining into our fold it's really about us the rest of us joining them joining the rest of the human race joining the rest of the world you know really connecting with something larger than ourselves, which is, as you probably know, the whole point of recovery, I think. So this kind of puts, yeah. puts, I guess, a specific take on it. We really kind of unpack what, if AA or recovery is a spiritual thing, what is that? What does that yeah. mean? And of course, there's, there's a thousand different ways to talk about it and look at it. We talk a lot about uh, my personal interest. Um, it's in things like alchemy, uh, mysticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it veers off into a lot of that as, as we did today. But I think it's pertinent. It's, it's, it helps. It's an exercise to open our minds to other ways of seeing, and yeah. which, I think, which I think are just so crucial nowadays. So crucial that we learn to see differently definitely i agree i love it thank you so so much for your time and your knowledge and your wisdom i really appreciate it thank you jessica thanks you for having me on 
What an amazing and enlightening conversation. This is what I love so much about the podcast, is having different people's perspectives, opinions, and views on the world. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please comment, subscribe, give us some feedback about the podcast. We love to hear your comments. Follow us at A Sober Girl's Guide on Facebook and Instagram. And do me a favor, if you feel that anyone needs to hear these episodes, this episode, or anyone in the past, please share the love. You know, we have a lot of people out there struggling and don't know where they fit in, and it would be really great for you to offer to bridge that gap and help someone to find their crew. Also, check out asobergirlsguide.com. We got the blog, we have merch, we have all the downloadable workbooks and programs that you will need at any stage of your recovery. We got your back. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.